I think the idea that Russia is this imbreachable, impregnable fortress has some holes in it. Welcome to the Powers That Be Daily, Puck's podcast focused on the intersection of Wall Street, Washington, Silicon Valley, and Hollywood, and the players who run it all. I'm Peter Hamby. It's Tuesday, July 25th. Today, Julia Yaffe joins me to talk about the recent spate of Ukrainian drone attacks inside Russia. How are they getting this close to the Kremlin, and why are these attacks happening right now? Julia also gives me a readout from the Aspen Security Forum, where the foreign policy establishment gathered to escape the DC heat and wrestle with some of the biggest challenges facing the world. We'll discuss all that and more on today's episode of The Powers That Be. Happy Tuesday, everybody, and welcome to The Powers That Be. I'm joined today by Julia Yaffe to talk about some of the latest developments coming out of the Ukraine-Russia war, but also what's happening in Aspen at the Aspen Security Forum. I know everyone would love to be in Aspen at this time of year, Julia. Um, have you ever been to that forum out there? What goes on? I have uh, several times. What goes on is that it's beautiful. It's in the mountains, and it's like 20 degrees cooler than in D.C., and no humidity. <laughs> That's what goes on. Oh, and some national security stuff. Yeah, I was like actually looking at the agenda for this thing and like, you know, all, like foreign policy Brahmin types like Joseph Nye are there and there's generals and like, you know, Peter Baker and Andrea Mitchell and lots of just foreign policy establishment people. And I'm like, mm -hmm. it looks like most of these people live in Washington and are just getting out of like swampy swamp heat and like heading to delightful Aspen. But it's the same people just moving to a different location. Oh yeah, no, it's very <laughs> much DC comes to Aspen in the sense that, you know, it's the same kind of the same people, but hopefully in a more relaxed setting, hopefully more approachable. Um, again, I'll never forget the first time I went, which was I think back in 2015 or 2016. And there was just uh, and it was a much more casual form then, and I wow. um, there was like a reception at the end of the of a day of panels and stuff, and um, I grabbed a beer and then I was like, oh, there's Mike Rogers, head of the NSA. Let me go talk to him. And I talked to him and I told him a funny story about the NSA and a Russian family friend who nearly got arrested for trying to. Anyway, it's a long story, but. You know, that was not the case this year. It was much bigger, much more formal. Yeah. All the, you know, all the big wigs, the quote unquote practitioners were rolling, you know, 20, 30 deep. And like there's a ton of security everywhere, a lot more corporate folks than usual. So kind of bigger and less intimate this time, because one of the advantages, again, is that it used to be quite small and quite wonky. And mm -hmm. you could approach some of these people in a way you couldn't in DC, you know, because they weren't with their press secretary, and they mm -hmm. weren't with their, you know, minders, and, and they were feeling relaxed up in the thin mountain air, and you could go up to them and you know, talk shop in a much more casual and more informal way. Uh, and it's not that it wasn't possible this year. It was just harder for gotcha. those kind of chance encounters to happen. Well, I want to ask you about uh, what the best and the brightest are saying out there and what the macro thoughts are about the state of the world in a moment. But I do want to ask you first about 
these drones that have apparently targeted Moscow uh, on Monday. Two drones, I believe, were mm-hmm. destroyed by Russia. They came into Moscow. They blamed Ukraine. Um, this comes after, I believe, correct me if I'm wrong, the attack on the Crimea Bridge a week ago was also carried out by drones. Tell us more about these drones. I mean, getting all the way to Moscow, that seems pretty crazy. Well, I feel like after the Kremlin drone strike, after Evgeny Prigozhin's men marched two-thirds of the way to Moscow after taking over a city that's over a million people and is the military headquarters for the war in Ukraine without firing a single shot, I think the idea that Russia is this imbreachable, Mm -hmm. impregnable fortress has some holes in it. Mm -hmm. What's interesting, for example, is that one of the drones landed uh, and blew out some windows in a part of the GRU's complex where Fancy Bear is holed up. That the unit, the GRU unit that uh, hacked the DNC servers back in 2016 mm. and set off a well-known cascade of events. That is where that unit's home is, and the drone seemed to be aiming for them. Crashed on them, blew out some windows. Right across the street, about 300 yards away, is a really powerful uh, air defense cannon stationed on the roof of the Ministry of Defense. Hmm. And the authorities made a big deal of putting it up there and over the winter to kind of show how, again, impregnable uh, a fortress all that Moscow is. And um, looks like it didn't go off even once. So, Julia, why why is this happening now? I mean, I mentioned the bridge attack. Uh, this comes after the NATO meeting uh, that Zelensky went to and unsuccessfully lobbied to get Ukraine to join NATO. Uh, it obviously comes after the Wagner Group rebellion. Why is all why why are we suddenly talking about these drone attacks? Well, because they're coming on the heels of days of relentless bombarding by Russia of the Ukrainian port cities of Odessa and Mykolaiv in retaliation for the bridge attack. The bridge is uh, Putin's very special pet project. And the fact that the Ukrainians were able to target it again clearly infuriated him. He promised vengeance. And within 24 hours, his vengeance was raining down on Odessa and Mykolaiv, which are some of the few remaining ports that Ukraine has on the Black Sea, Mm -hmm. but are essentially blockaded by the Russian uh, Black Sea fleet. Russia has also pulled out of the grain deal, and Mm -hmm. which is not as disastrous as it would have been at the beginning of the war. Ukraine has found other ways to get its grain out by land. That said, Uh, Russia then bombed a grain depot on the banks of a river that separates Ukraine and Romania. And Romania is a NATO member. So if that had missed, you know, the Russians say that they have this incredibly precise artillery, which is not true. Um, But if they had missed, they would have hit a NATO country. Uh, And then on top of that, there's just the pure cynicism of bombing a depot full of grain you know, when people in the world are starving, when people need affordable um, wheat products. It's just mm-hmm. awful. So, um, and then on Sunday, um, you know, the Lord's Day in the Christian tradition, the Russians destroyed the main cathedral of Odessa. 
and a lot of buildings in, in a UNESCO uh, protected part of the city. So this was clearly um, revenge for that. What's hilarious is, so that cathedral is called the the cathedral of something like, in English, something like the Holy Transfiguration. Mm-hmm. So the Russians said, no, 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 we didn't bomb that. That wasn't our, th- those weren't our rockets that uh, blew it up. It was the um, the shrapnel from the Ukrainian anti-aircraft air defense rockets. Yeah, which, sure. Uh, yeah, okay, <laughs> sure, Jen. Right. But uh, on Monday, Putin and Lukashenko, the Belarusian president, went mm. out uh, and went to this cathedral up in the north on a lake right outside of St. Petersburg that has a famous cathedral also called the Cathedral of the Holy Transfiguration. Mm. And it was widely recorded of them kind of pressing flesh and, you know, shaking babies, kissing hands and um, kissing icons and lighting candles. And it was just like the mo- this ridiculous display of piety as in there's no way he could have destroyed this holy object because look what a good Christian he is. And then look, and, and he looks very practiced in a church, right? He's been super into the church for a while. Mm-hmm. He thinks it gives some legitimacy. It ties the nation together, blah, blah, blah. And then you have Lukashenko, who clearly does not know what to do in a church. He's like, what do I do now? Do, do I kiss the icon? Do I, oh, do I cross myself? Do I just put my hand on my chest? Very what Trumpy. Is, what do I yeah. do? Yeah, yeah. It, it, was just, it was just kind of amazing. But yeah, we've also seen Putin out a lot more uh, going out into ecstatic crowds and taking mm. f- selfies with people and, again, and kissing babies, which is, I mean, for somebody who has spent two, three years in isolation because of COVID, now he's just all up in people's germs. Well, I was reading about the cathedral and the Guardian um, noted that this cathedral was consecrated by the patriarch of the Russian Orthodox Church. Uh, so that's pretty barbaric. <laughs> and his church in Russia now has also, you know, it has blessed some of the rockets that are flying into Ukraine, right? They sprinkle holy water on some of these uh, machines. And in fact, when Putin went up on Monday to this cathedral with the exact same name as the one in Odessa, mm-hmm. he then stopped by a part of the monastery where the monks pray for uh the success of russian warriors which you know hypocrisy in the church i know it's i know it's just gonna blow your lid off but it it exists that's crazy uh but yeah it was definitely um russian shrapnel um i want to take a quick break julia and when we come back i want to ask you what the foreign policy smarty pants set is talking about in aspen Welcome back to the Powers of Be, everybody. We are talking foreign affairs with Julia Yaffe. Julia, uh, I scanned the agenda for the Aspen Security Forum. There are fireside chats and panels about- With no fires. No fires. No fires. fires. I mean, in a few years, uh, there will be fires everywhere across uh, the West, (laughs) West, but not this year. There's a panel on the promise and peril of artificial intelligence, the global democracy agenda, uh, there are panels about China. There are panels about India. Uh, I assume there's panels about disinformation. Amidst all these panels, when people have hallway conversations and mezcal cocktails up there in Aspen, what 
What are the larger sort of academic macro concerns about America's role in the world right now? Like, what do you think is, is there any big takeaway or is everyone just sort of going through the motions here and worried about the war in Ukraine? Well, I think one of the things was trying to balance China and Russia and, you know, talking about how much does uh, the issue of Taiwan run through Ukraine? Mm. Is it something that really influences Xi or does it not? Mm. Also, how do we, you know, support both Taiwan and Ukraine without stretching ourselves thin? How do we create a relationship with China that is doesn't lead to all-out confrontation? Because this year, uh, and the Aspen Security Forum has been trending in this direction, you know, there were people from non-European countries there, or non-China countries, right? There were people from the so-called Global South, which is, doesn't want a confrontation between the US and China. It doesn't want to have to, these countries don't want to have to pick a side, right? And they understand mm. that getting caught in the middle would be pretty mm. disastrous for them. Uh, that said, then there's a question of, while we're so busy trying to avoid conflict with uh, China, is China trying to do the same? Or is it going to be like the way we were with Putin pre-2022, right? Mm. Trying to avoid conflict, trying to avoid conflict, trying to establish dialogue, etc. Whereas Putin is like, oh, fuck this. I'm just going to war. I'm just going to mm. take Ukraine. Again, uh, there were the questions of, is the US doing enough for Ukraine or, or doing too much for Ukraine? What is going to be the, what is the future of AI? Is it going to destroy us all? Is it going to be, is it going to burn out and be kind of flash in the pan or something in between? Uh, Etc. What was interesting is that there were, um, there was a clear attempt to be kind of bipartisan and civil here, which is just so extremely Washington. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, for the first time you had, you know, a Fox anchor interviewing somebody on stage, mm. you had, uh, Mike Pompeo and Mike Esper walking around and which is again, interesting given those two men's roles in the previous administration, but it was like, oh, they're just another former secretary, just like Condi Rice was there, just mm-hmm. another former secretary, not at all involved in any stupid wars, right? Mm-hmm. But yeah, it was just... It used to be a kind of uh, breath of fresh air after DC because people were more relaxed, people were more unguarded and kind of no ties. People were a little looser and more more honest. Mm-hmm. And this time it was just much very DC, very corporate. Uh, everybody was rolling, you know, with like 30 people deep and um, didn't want to make any news. Right. Whereas before yeah. it was a place where a lot of news was made. Yeah. Speaking of corporate sponsors, it's like, you know, again, looking at the agenda from from the event lunch for all attendees in the Google Pavilion, <laughs> which, by the way, had which, by the way, had a sign uh, that was like, oh, by the way, by being in this tent, you agreed to have your face used in all these things that uh, that Google is going to do with your face. Oh, my have, God. Have some food. Okay. Um, and, you know, Mike Pompeo was on a panel about rare earth minerals, but that's because he's on the board of a company called mm. USA Rare Earth Minerals. Mm. So, you know, the swamp. Sounds very swampy. It's funny, too, because I've talked about this on the podcast before, but in my world of campaign politics, 
um, there's always something out in Aspen, like someone, some candidate speaks there, but there's also like the RGA Republican governors association yeah, yeah, yeah. as like a thing in Aspen. And like, like you were saying, like, it's great for sourcing. You can go, yeah. you can talk to governors and chiefs of staff and totally bullshit off the record and meet people and network. Um, mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. I don't know as a, you know, this actually looks interesting to me, but, uh, I, I weep for your, uh, past experiences there it sounds like it was a good place to go and kind of chill and now it seems very very fancy fancy julia thank you so much for joining me you're so welcome thanks peter thanks so much for listening to another episode of the powers that be as a reminder the powers that be is the official podcast of puck we'd like to thank ben landy liz goff and alex bigler for their editorial and production guidance If you like what you hear, please share with a friend. It really helps us keep delivering the inside scoop that only Puck can offer. Follow us on Twitter at Puck News. I'm Ben Landy. See you tomorrow. This has been a presentation of Odyssey. Please listen, rate, review, and follow all episodes wherever you get your podcasts. The Powers That Be Daily is executive produced by John Kelly, co-founder of Puck, Bob Tabador, and Ben Landy, executive editor at Puck.